Welcome back to Not Another Science Podcast. I'm Alex. And I'm Hannah. This week, we're talking to Jane White, an assistant professor with the Brewing and Distilling Courses at Harriet Watt University in Edinburgh. Scotland is known for many things. Beautiful scenery, terrible weather, deep-fried Mars bars, and of course, whiskey and salmon. Usually, whiskey and salmon aren't thought of as going together, but in this episode, Jane is going to explain why they are the perfect catch. (coughs) I mean, match. We love hearing how sustainability is a huge and thriving part of Scottish industries. If you were looking for a reason to get out and try some local offerings, be it whiskey, beer or salmon, then this is the episode for you. We had a few connection issues during the episode that we've tried to smooth out, but you might hear the odd blip. I promise this is the last time. Before we start, this podcast is sponsored by Griner Bio One, supplying laboratory, diagnostic and medical products to research institutions, higher education, the NHS and others across the UK. For details of the full product range, visit www.gbo.com. So I'm Jane and I'm a lecturer at Harriet Watt. So I'm working in the International Centre for Brewing and Distilling. But I'm obviously not from Scotland. I moved over back in 2005, which I'm not going to calculate how long ago that was. (laughs) (laughs) So I teach in the university. I'm also um, programme director for our undergraduate course. And I'm also involved in the company Horizon Proteins, which works with the Scottish whisky industry to look for new applications for pot ale. How was it that you got into this field? Um, well, my background actually was in biotechnology. That's what I studied many, many years ago. Really, I'm definitely not going to calculate that. Um, <laughs> so I studied biotechnology back when it was actually a new thing. So <laughs> I always remember when I was choosing what to do in university, My um, in school, one of the teachers said to me, well, there's this new thing. It's got a mixture of biology and maths. You're good at both of them. That's what you should do. <laughs> so, <laughs> So biotechnology, as you know, is applying biology for the benefit of man and the environment. And obviously the earliest example of biotechnology is probably brewing. So I think I was always destined to end up working in brewing and distilling. Yeah, you mentioned that you're co-founder of Horizon Proteins. And my understanding is that, I think you mentioned it there, it looks at using sale from the whiskey industry to make, I guess, feeds and stuff. Can you elaborate on that? And especially what is pot ale? <laughs> Okay, pot ale is probably the equivalent of beer without the alcohol. So when you make malt whiskey, you obviously distill off the alcohol. And in Scottish malt whiskey production, you have your first pot still, you distill off the alcohol, and what you're left with is pot ale at the end. So that's the bit left behind. So it contains everything except the alcohol, and it also has the yeast in there. Yeah, so there's a lot of pot ale. Um, For every litre of alcohol produced, there's about eight litres of pot ale. So if you think of how much whiskey is produced in Scotland, let me see, there's about, I'm trying to think of the last figures I saw was 404 million litres per annum of alcohol. So multiply that by eight and you get over 3 billion litres of pot ale is produced. Wow. There's a lot of it. (laughs) (laughs) Fortunately, it doesn't taste as nice as beer otherwise, so we have to find other things to do with it. And so is that like a liquid residue? It's not a waste, it's a byproduct. So in Scottish whiskey industry, we would generally not call things waste because they all have applications. They've all, all historically had applications too. So they're not waste, they're always byproducts because we can find uses for them and they can be of value. So it's about 95% water. There is yeast in there. So the way that Scottish whiskey is made quite differently than other whiskies around the world. So it can only contain barley, water and yeast. 
So that's all you're going to get out at the end. But in Scottish malt whiskey, you take out the grains before you go through the fermentation. In contrast, for example, Irish pot still whiskey, you leave the grains in. So their pot oil will have grains in there, whereas Scottish pot oil is only going to have yeast and your liquid fraction. And what we're, we're really interested in is that liquid fraction, even though it's mostly water, there's actually about 1% protein in there and it's a very nice soluble protein. So if you can extract that out, it's a 1% sounds very small, but if you think I told you there's over 3 billion liters of pot ale, that then gives you a lot of protein, protein that you can actually access. Mm -hmm. So it's about like whatever, over 30,000 tons of protein roughly available in that liquid fraction. Wow. And so how did this lead to the Horizon Proteins project? Yeah, so um, let me see. I started back in 2000 and 2011, I think, in Harriet Wash. So I went there to work particularly just specifically on this project. And we were originally sponsored by Scottish Funding Council. And the idea was, first of all, to look and see what we could do about sustainability in this area. And the thing that jumped out at us was there's a lot of protein there. Can we extract it? Can we do something good on it? So there was a group of us working on that. And we realized, yeah, this actually has a really good value we definitely we, we can develop the technology we think we can do something with this so then we got funding from scottish enterprise they have a high growth spin out program so they fund research in, in universities that they think are going to be viable companies at the end they were really good and they sponsored us to this so that allowed us then to develop the process test the process set up a pilot facility to run a distilleries and make sure everything was online and allow us then to get to the next stage of having a viable company oh wow are you using this right now in industry or is there is it kind of in the research stage we are we're beyond research stage so we are currently the planning commission is going in for a new plant so we are planning a new a new facility up in Speyside. so that will be hopefully processing pot ale in another year oh wow that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> but like any startup companies there's always hiccups along the road i know from biotechnology we tell bioprocessing students it'll take at least 10 years for even longer obviously if you're a pharmaceutical company but it'll take at least 10 years to get to your actual product being to market that's what you're looking at and 2011 we started on this this is 2021 now is the time <laughs> and how is this end product uh, extracted protein coming to market as i said you've got liquid fraction of pot ale that contains soluble protein. You've also got the yeast fraction. So we actually make two two products. We can extract out the yeast and the dried yeast product. I think that's probably about another 32,000 tons of pranum probably available in all the pot oil in Scotland. So that itself is a viable product on its own. And then you can extract out the protein. We extract that from the liquid stream. We dry it. So it's quite, it can be quite a high, high protein concentration. We can get it up to about 90%, so between 70, 90% protein, which makes it very suitable for salmon feed. Uh. And one of the things we're looking for is to, we can replace that um, fraction of soya protein concentrate that's used in salmon feed, replace that with this nice local protein product that is not soya based and is readily available in Scotland. So that's obviously our ultimate goal. You were saying it doesn't taste very good. Is there any possibility for this being used in kind of human consumption as well? Uh, no, it itself doesn't taste very good because it's obviously going to be the equivalent of lots of different components in there, not just not just protein. So there's going to be lots of other things in there. One of the issues with pot ale is that it's got quite a high copper content. Remember, you've got those copper stills. Yeah. So copper is always leaching back into copper is amazing. Copper plays a fantastic role in how whiskey is made. It reduces a lot of the off flavors in whiskey during distillation, but it also ends up in the pot ale, which kind of restricts what you can do with it. Even based on copper content, you don't really want to probably drink in your pot ale. But um, because we're just extracting the protein part out, it's actually quite a valuable product in itself and yet it possibly could be used in um, food applications in the future we have looked at it it's got really nice foaming potential so if you think of when you're looking to replace proteins in food mainly what you're looking to do is replace either egg proteins or 
milk proteins and you look for them to have nice characteristics. You like things that foam because that will help you replace egg. You like things that emulsify. So you look for these kind of characteristics. So we do think that this protein actually could have value in food in the future. Oh, fantastic. But obviously to get that to that stage, we want to start producing product, get it to market and then get to test it then as well and see. That would be a very easy product to market if you say it comes from the whiskey industry, I think, in Scotland at least. (laughs) Protein from whiskey. The whole area of the, there is so many different types of plant proteins now becoming available. So it is a, it is a very nice area to be involved in. There's so many different options out there. So it would definitely be good to have something that's local, that's from a byproduct and not from a primary crop that has to be grown. You're extracting out the protein and then you've got all the other bits that you need to do something with it. Whereas we get this nice stream that we can separate into yeast, protein, and then we also get a carbohydrate bit at the end, which is really happily to go into anaerobic digestion. So you can generate energy from that and put that back into the process. The Scotch whiskey industry is aiming to be net zero by for greenhouse gas emissions by 2040. So obviously to oh, achieve wow. that, so they have set their, they've, they've been quite ambitious, but um, a lot of the energy use obviously comes from the distilling stage. So the two things they need to do is, is both to look at efficiency of distilling, but also renewable forms of energy. So moving away from oil and gas. And mm-hmm. anaerobic digestion is a nice way to look at that because you can take the byproducts, put them through anaerobic digestion, generate energy. The issue with that, though, is that if you just take the byproducts, you're obviously u- losing the protein fraction. All of that, if I roughly calculate 60,000 60, tons of protein that could go into the food chain in Scotland would actually just be put straight through anaerobic digestion. So it kind of makes sense to us. That's what we look at is we extract the protein first, your carbohydrate fraction to generate your energy, and you have a process then that satisfies different sectors. Are there any other uh, byproducts from any alcohol or whiskey production that we should know about coming into our our food line? Yeah, so um, there is, so for Scotch malt whiskey, you will have the two main ones are going to be pot ale and also the spent grain, which is called draft when we're talking about whiskey. So that will be your grains after you've extracted the starch out of it. So there are different applications for that. And that obviously overlaps them with brewing. So brewing is going to have spent grain as well. For some reason, it's called spent grain and brewing. Generally, in Scottish malt whiskey, we would say draft. So <laughs> the, first thing is, the first thing when it comes to byproducts is getting your head around the um, terminology, unfortunately. <laughs> but there are lots of different applications out there in spent grain. This is something that we have looked at extracting the protein out of it. So it's something that we could do in the future. But there are, I mean, there's a lot of companies looking at different applications from that. I've seen everything from um, spent grain milks <laughs> oh. to there's a Scottish company which um, extracts out a high high protein flour from it. Obviously, it's grain, it's barley. It's just missing some of the starch. Looking at ways to fractionate that. So there's a lot, definitely a lot more in- interest in this area. As I said, the great thing about brewing and distilling is that you're taking away the starch, so you're leaving something that's high in protein to begin with and you've processed to some degree, you're not needing then as many steps as opposed to if you were getting your product, your crop directly from the field, you're skipping a lot of those steps by having the brewing and the stilling in between. Do any of the byproducts retain any of the flavour from the alcohol or is that all gone when they produce the alcohol? Spent grain won't because um, spent grain and draft are removed prior to fermentation. For both brewing and the stilling, that will just be, that will just be grain, we'll have nothing else in there. And then depending on what you do with the pot ale, there is other things you can do with pot ale. There's been um, the Scottish researchers, there's a group called Myalgae who are looking at converting it to algae, not just with, with, with um, 
pot ale, but looking at different um, distillery byproducts. But there's different people working in that area. And then, but most of the, most of the applications would be looking to convert it to something else. Whereas we're the only ones who extract out the good bit of it and use that directly. I'm really curious from a personal point of view as well. You mentioned about the fact that you will be using mm-hmm. the protein for salmon feed mainly. So what's the issue there? Like, why would you want to find a substitute for the current salmon feeds that exist? Salmon feed is made up of multiple ingredients. There's about probably about 20 different ingredients will go into one type of feed. And it will vary depending on what's available seasonally and things like that. But one of the main protein components that go in there is soya protein concentrate. That's a product that's about 70% protein. Obviously, it comes from soya, and most of the soya that will be used is still coming from South, will still come from South America. So first of all, you've just got the transportation of it coming from South America. But then if you're using it in salmon feed, I know the salmon producers are very conscious of using responsibly sourced soya. But even then, it will still have quite a high environmental footprint. So by managing to have something that's a local protein, what you're looking for is not just protein, you're looking for the amino acids to be similar. So if you can get something that's very similar and can replace soya protein concentrate, you're talking just producing that on space side and shipping it down to the feed manufacturers rather than producing it in Brazil and sending it all the way over to Scotland. And the other thing is, is I mean, Scottish whiskey distilleries aren't going anywhere. As I said, there's very strict regulations on how Scottish whiskey can be produced. So we can always be pretty sure that the byproducts that we get and the protein that we make from that is always going to be fairly consistent. There'll, there'll be a long-term supply once this is online, as long as we keep drinking whiskey. <laughs> don't think that's going to be a problem <laughs> no danger <laughs> so I have a question based on what we've spoken about and it's very basic but can you talk us through the process of the distilling the brewing and distilling process in a whiskey distillery to make malt whiskey you would start with your barley in the field it needs to be uh, malted converted to malted barley then it comes to the distillery you're going to mash that so you're going to mix that up with water at a higher temperature that will allow it to gelatinize and allow those starches to break down into sugars that then the yeast can use once that's done for scotch malt whiskies i said you take out the solid fraction then so you take out your spent grain and what you're left with is a liquid that is lots of sugars in there that the yeast can use when you add them in if you were making beer at that stage you would throw in hops and you'd probably boil it there's differences very technical differences in how you do the mashing and things but we won't go into that but if you're making beer you would boil it so that sterilizes the beer it also would extract a lot of those hop, hop acids you get your isoalpha acids which gives you the bitterness there's lots of discussion around where you can add in those hops because obviously you want to get hop aroma as well as bitterness in there so there's a lot that can go on during that boiling stage so that would be brewing where then you would just get your you clear out your liquid afterwards and you ferment it. In the stilling, it's not sterile. It hasn't been, hasn't gone through that boiling process. So you're going to add in your yeast. There's probably going to be bacteria in there too. The bacteria play a key role as well. They're going to they're going to contribute to the flavor as well. But you'll ferment that with your yeast, and that could go on for it depends on the distillery. So we typically say like a 48 hour fermentation is long enough. But some distilleries in Scotland will go a lot longer because they see a lot of different flavor development and it suits their style of whiskey. So what happens with yeast there is actually very important as well. So you'll ferment it and then you're ready to distill it. And if you're making malt whiskey, it will go through two distillation steps. And then you're going to end up with your new make spirit, which then is going to have to be aged. And in Scotland, it has to be aged for at least three years. So it will go into your oak barrels for at least into your oak casks for three years. And then after three years, you will have whiskey. Obviously, most people don't sell that after three years. It's usually 10 to 12, but that would be in a nutshell how you produce it. Oh, thank you. I was in a pub quiz once and that was the question was, how long does whiskey have to be, uh, what was it called, distilled for? Or, um... Not matured. It has to go into the cask for three years. 
Three yeah, years is, uh, is, is the rules. But that's not in Scotland. There's very strict regulations on how all of the different types of distilled spirits are made. So the EU regulations on that are very strict. They go through all that. It's amazing, actually. You should look up those regulations because you can just see <laughs> the amount of distilled spirits available in Europe. Is, the amount of different, different varieties is amazing because obviously each country had developed, depending on what fruits they had and things, they had developed their own processes. So a lot of those are protected on the law. So it's quite interesting to see. <laughs> Do any of those specific processes mean something like the Horizons project couldn't be applied to their products anymore? Um, no, because what we work with is the byproducts. We're obviously specifically set up to work with malted barley at the moment. We can work with green whiskey. So obviously it would be different. You'd be extracted different, different proteins because they'd be coming from wheat or maize. Um, the process would change slightly because you've got different solids and things in there, but you'd still have a liquid stream at the end generally as long as so we would generally work at grain based things as opposed to something like rum which is sugar cane based which would um be a very different profile and doesn't have much protein in there so you generally wouldn't work with that yeah. ah okay oh it's a lot more complex than i first thought <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it, it is an amazing i mean coming from a biotechnology background this whole area i mean i get really excited by the whole microbiology of these things even if we're just talking about the impact that the barley can have on the process and the different types of malt that you can use think about the beer that you drink there's a very different big difference between holding a pint of stout in your hand and a lager <laughs> mm. <laughs> the materials are the same but they've just been treated very, very differently but you're looking at everything from the barley that's gone in there or there's other grains going in there and then we haven't even touched upon what could be happening with the yeast. We might use a different yeast strain that's going to give you a total different profile too. You might just change the temperature slightly and your yeast is going to behave differently. So <laughs> if you ever do any bread making, I always notice when I make pizza here and I leave it to rise, it's been fantastic this summer. I'm getting this amazing, <laughs> amazing bread. I know winter is going to come and it's going to be absolutely useless. It's going to be sitting here all day. It'll raise rice slightly. So <laughs> Yeah. did you think if you get such complexity and just adding the same things into your bread making how different then it would be when it comes to brewing and distilling it's a... what are your thoughts on gluten-free beers yeah gluten-free beers are very obviously a very good idea if um there is a company in down in leith that um specialize in gluten-free gluten-free beers as well so there's different ways to make it obviously you can start with gluten-free barley which is one area they have done research in trying to do it, but otherwise you're just um, breaking down the gluten bit at the end. But yeah, it's a, definitely got a got potential, and obviously for people who are celiac who need that, that's a that's really good that they have lots of beers available to available to them too. It's quite interesting how the the enzymes. So the enzymes to make gluten free beer was originally the enzymes would have been originally added to break up the proteins that cause you know making hazy beer. Yeah. So yeah, most beer. Well, unless you're drinking a hazy, hazy IPA, you don't want <laughs> in your beer. If you're drinking a lager, you obviously want it to be clear. So if you think of heightened tenants, you want that to be nice, clear, crisp looking. So they had developed these enzymes to break down the hoarding fractions and that that would mainly contribute to that haze protein. And oh. obviously serendipitously, they also they break down that gluten bit, that, that chain that you can't have and uh, give you your gluten-free beer too. So does that mean you can't have a hazy gluten-free beer? You could do because haze. I'm I'm trying to think actually, but it would be difficult to do because you'd have to be very specific of what proteins was in there. Haze is caused by um, if you can have haze from the yeast as well, obviously, but it's mainly you can you can have the yeast proteins can contribute, but it's mainly the proteins from the barley interacting with polyphenols. Okay. So polyphenols these big ring compounds. They 
bind together and they give you this insoluble um, holes and you can you can see it then it appears as haze in your glass <laughs> but no i think that the area when in brewing actually the um, amount of new products available is becoming really exciting i mean both gluten-free and then also looking at the low alcohol space as well it's really exciting to see what's coming online on that too i think it's a lot more products available out there more choice and probably yeah more indecision <laughs> That's one of the things I've really enjoyed about living in Edinburgh was uh, one of the first things I actually did when I moved to the city was going to a, a beer fair where all the different stalls were local beer makers and just having that time to stand there and chat with everyone as you went around. Obviously, I don't remember half of those conversations, but it was amazing to see the variety and the scope just, just across Edinburgh. Like, oh, yeah, we're over this way. We're over this way. And there's so many people doing so many interesting things. No, definitely. There's a wide range of products there. So I think there's definitely something to suit everybody. <laughs> Leading on from that, are there any myths around malt whiskey or your research that you'd like to debunk for us? I guess that it's a, a lot of the time you hear that it's not very sustainable. And that is not necessarily true. As I said, Scottish Whiskey Association has been really working. So Scottish Whiskey Association, its members are a lot of the distilleries in Scotland. And they have an environmental strategy that works around sustainability. And as I said, the things they're looking at is net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2040. And they want net zero barley by 2045. And they also do things around water use. So sustainable water or responsible water sourcing. And then also around packaging. So there is a lot of research going into this. The main thing for the distilleries is trying to find renewable sources of energy to heat those stills, because that's really where a lot of the, I think about 40% of the environmental footprint is probably in the distillery. So that's the bit you're targeting. So I think you have people thinking that it's not sustainable, but it, has, it is definitely becoming more sustainable over the years and it always has been. People think, especially yeah, these byproducts, they're not waste, they are byproducts, they've always had uses. So if you think back very the first distilleries, distilleries would always be built beside the farms because that's both where their barley would come from. But also you would have pigs there on the land and your byproducts would go straight from the distillery to the pigs. So, of course. Yeah. So they're always, when you think of things like circular economy, it's always been a place for distilleries. You mentioned net zero barley. What is the problem with barley? Malting is obviously can be energy intensive because you're heating it. That would be everything from growing it in the fields. So your source of fertilizers in the fields, there's no problem with it. But I guess it's just that we can reduce greenhouse gas emissions according to every step of a process. That's really what you would be looking to do. So, I mean, it's a farming process. So you're trying to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions just involved in the farming of that and then also the malting of it. Yeah, there is the, um, the, the there is a barley research hub being set up in Scotland as well. So they're looking at developing a lot of different barley varieties and everything. So it's trying to make things climate resistance too. So if it is becoming an issue in the future, yeah. but also looking into this and improving, improving the barley that's available. Yeah. Where would you like the sustainability research for brewing and distilling to be heading for in the future? Um, I think just making everything more circular, making sure that we're using, we're extracting value from everything, not just converting it straight to energy, but looking to see what else we can extract from it. I think is, a, is definitely one of the key things and looking to extract you can break things down into the most simplest parts if you look at the carbohydrate fractions or protein fractions you can separate those out and use them as different products mm -hmm. and that i think is ideally what we should be looking to do so you will have a you'll always have a stream that can go back to generate energy but to extract the good bits first they are available as a nice like especially on the protein side as a nice thing that can be used it's not having to go undergo a large amount of processing as if you had to go back to the original crop again so it makes perfect sense so i think that's where i'd like to see it go is not just thinking of one sector, but looking at how what, what happens in one sector affects all the other sectors as well. 
what is your favorite thing about the work that you do? I guess for me, the most thing I get out of it is that you are working on so many different things. As I said, the science of it is very broad. I'm very interested in both engineering of things and also in the biology. And it's the great thing about brewing in the still is you get to put that all together. So not just looking at the fact that you can make a difference when it comes to sustainability, but just for me, there's so many different areas you could be looking at. I could be one day looking at just teaching students what's happening during wort boiling, what's happening in that particular part of a process. But at the same time, I might be doing a life cycle analysis of a particular protein and looking and seeing how that has an impact on an overall picture. So it's, it's a broad range of things that you can be involved in. It's, it is amazing. You're not just looking at one, one simple thing. Is there any other research you're currently undertaking you can tell us about? A lot of my research actually is probably we, we get a lot of our master's students are doing a lot of different topics at the moment. So they, they choose their own research topics. So it can be very broad, anything from low alcohol beer to, to the marketing of kombucha. So <laughs> they really do keep us on our toes on the areas. So every summer we find ourselves having to become, I wouldn't say experts because the students get to be the experts, but we have to understand all of these. So it's quite a broad range of research areas. But that's why I said it's really exciting of what you can be involved in. There's a lot of, a lot of different things that are happening out there. The marketing of kombucha, I feel like that in itself is a whole other episode for us. <laughs> thank you so much to jane for joining us on this episode we're fascinated by the many ways that byproducts from brewing and distilling processes can be used to benefit other industries like salmon farming Though we can't deny that it's a little disappointing to find out that salmon fed on whiskey protein don't actually taste like whiskey if you're inspired to take a look at the undergraduate or postgraduate brewing and distilling courses at Harriet Watt University, we'll link to those in the show notes. This podcast is brought to you by Edinburgh University Science Media. In each episode, we explore fascinating themes and ideas, talk to awesome researchers about their work, and find out about the science being done by our very own staff and students here at the university and beyond. If you have any feedback for us, or if you'd like to get in touch with a question or suggestion, you can reach us on our Facebook page, Edinburgh University Science Media, or on our Twitter, at USCI, that's E-U-S-C-I. You can also drop us an email at usci.podcast at gmail.com, and you can find the show notes and the latest issue of the magazine at usci.org.uk. This episode was hosted by Hannah Muir and me, Alex Bailey. The podcast logo was designed by USI Chief Editor Apple Chu, and the awesome podcast art was designed by Heather Jones, our social media and marketing genius. The intro music is an edited version of Funkarama by Kevin McLeod, and the outro music is an edited version of Footballs in Space by Professor Colin Campbell. Thank you for listening, and until next time, keep it science.